Hello and welcome to Motherhood Made Magic, a podcast for the women who won't wait until their kids are grown to follow their dreams. I'm your host, Anna Cusack, an author, postpartum doula, exercise physiologist and mum. While I was writing my first book, I had many uplifting, encouraging and inspiring conversations with women and mothers who were doing just as I was, living their passion in business, art, sports and more, while also loving motherhood. This podcast exists to bring these conversations out from behind closed doors and bust the myth that a good mother must always put her own needs last. I'll be bringing you interviews with exceptional women plus reflections on my own experience of motherhood. Thanks for joining me on the wild ride that is being a mum. Hello and welcome to the Motherhood Made Magic podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode interviewing Sammy Ann as much as I loved recording it. And warning here that we do touch on Sammy's experience of miscarriage. So if this is something you'd rather not hear about right now, you might like to wait until the next episode is released to join us. You may also find some support from Panda in Australia or from the Pink Elephants Foundation who support families experiencing miscarriage and infant loss. Let's begin. Hello and welcome to the Motherhood Made Magic podcast. I'm your host, Anna Cusack, and today we have Sammy Ann coming to speak to you. So Sammy Ann is a parent, guide and teacher who loves sharing the strategies, knowledge and wisdom she has gained throughout her career. She is particularly passionate about helping neurodiverse children and families. Through one-on-one work, she provides specific guidance and support for individual circumstances, helping families map the maze of options they face. Sammy also offers online coaching and group programs. She has a background in early childhood education and psychology as well. And I am so glad to have her here because I think she is doing exactly as the title of our podcast suggests, making motherhood magic in real life so welcome sammy thank you for that beautiful introduction and um, i'm so honored to hear those words coming out of your mouth because i think what you do is also very magic and beautiful so thank you very much thank you and thanks for joining us today again i i do have a few questions to ask of you but first i'd love if you could just um share with us a bit about yourself and how you came to do what you do perhaps we'll start with in a professional sense Sure. So I, um, I suppose as a teenager growing up, I was always a bit lost in terms of what I wanted to do as a career. I had an, a, a wide ranging interests, but no specific kind of genius zone, I suppose, um, that I had discovered yet. And so I went to uni to do a Bachelor of Science thinking that I, because I had always been interested in psychology, but didn't find it to be quite as, I suppose, inspiring as I had hoped it would be. Um, and thought, oh, no, I don't want to be here for another, you know, six or seven years to become a psychologist, so maybe I need to change tack. And I found myself um, teaching the students that I, you know, I was a student as well, but I found myself teaching those around me. So I thought, okay, well, maybe I need to be a teacher. So I transferred into teaching, but I transferred into early childhood teaching because I'd always loved and enjoyed listening to children's stories and loved spending time with them. And I would find myself, even as an adult, if I was going into a group of people and there were children around, I was generally interacting with the kids before I was interacting with the adults. So I thought, well, that sounds like a good fit. So I did early childhood education degree at uni. So that was a four-year course. So by the stage, I had been in uni for five years. 
Um, moved into mostly kindergarten teaching. I was doing three-year-old kindergarten um, and and some sort of filling in for four-year-old as well as doing a little bit of CRT work in primary schools too. Then I, I moved into a position where um, I didn't agree with the management style of how the place was run. So it wasn't so much the actual program or, or how they were working with the children, but just more the management style and, um, you know, brought up some concerns and they weren't really addressed. So I, I left there without actually having another position to go to and fell into um, just like a temporary, like literally a two-day job just supporting reception at a child psychologist clinic um, out in the southeast suburbs of Melbourne um, and ended up being there for six or seven years. <laughs> it was a two-day job that turned into a full-time gig pretty quickly um, because the, you know, the director there was brilliant and I really enjoyed learning and, and working with her. Um, but she also recognised how quick I was to pick up, um, you know, pick up on things and implement strategies that were effective and actually welcome and, and work with the families who came in um, in an admin capacity. And so it wasn't long before we were actually developing programs for children with autism. So I was running programs with psychologists teaching children social skills and teaching them school readiness skills. Um, and so that really, I suppose, sparked my passion and interest in, in children who are neurodiverse. Um, so that generally, that term generally encapsulates people with autism um, and ADHD and learning difficulties um, because they generally have brains that, that are, are different. They function in a different way. They learn in a different way. And we need to, um, you know, be making, I suppose, uh, creating environments where they actually can thrive as opposed to trying to get them to fit into what we already have as a system. So that experience, I suppose, really taught me that um, there were a lot of places where that was lacking, I suppose. And then um, while I was at the, the working with the psychologist, I then um, I became pregnant. I actually, the first time I became pregnant, I actually experienced a, an early miscarriage, a missed miscarriage. So that was a whole, I suppose, deep inner, you know, grieving process that really caused me to grow a lot. I, I learned a lot through that process and that grieving process and actually had a lot of support around that, which um, I actually shared about in a, in a recent event that I presented in. Um, you might have been in it as well, Anna. It was called Taboo. And we were talking about topics that were taboo and so I actually presented on that. So if anyone's interested to learn more about that, that is a free event that you can still access in Facebook. Yeah, and there are some very, very juicy topics within that one. <sighs> Isn't so. it amazing? Yeah, I really, I was honoured to be presenting there, but I also, um, there were some amazing topics that were really explored and I think it's really important to explore a lot of these topics that we kind of push, you know, push to the side because that, that I think is, is the cause of so many problems in, in our society where we can't actually be open and honest about how we're feeling. Um, yes, and isn't that the whole underpinning of, of my book as well, The Unspoken Emotions of Motherhood, and then yes. we all connect this back here within the first five minutes of our podcast. Perfect. So How good is so, that? So right. <laughs> but it's true, right, because it's, I mean, that's, that's, you know, one aspect in terms of, you know, we don't talk about miscarriage is that, you know, well, you don't tell anybody you're pregnant until 12 weeks because, you know, th th there's a pretty high percentage in that period of time that you will experience a miscarriage. But for me, I'm going, well, why is that so? Because we, if, if we experience a miscarriage, we should be open and, and able to express how we're feeling about that and to grieve that openly and to have our family and friends support us in that grief because it's a very real experience for parents who go through it. Um, so that, I think, was a big turning point in my life in terms of what I was focused on and, I mean, for us it was a blessing because we finally realised that even though we had been 
trying to wait for the right time to have kids, we realised there was no right time to have kids and we just need to get cracking on that. And so it was probably about, it was, I think it was about a year later um, that I was pregnant with our first child. Um, and that process went, well, you know, actually being pregnant was quite, uh, after having miscarried, can, it caused quite a bit of anxiety. Um, and I think I dealt with that by just not thinking about the fact that I was pregnant. Apart from the things I had to do, the appointments and, you know, being a bit careful about what I ate and, um, you know, and drank and all of that kind of thing, making sure I was following all of the guidelines. Apart from that, I didn't really think about it too much. When people asked how it was going, I would just kind of brush it off and go, yeah, I'm good. It's all fine, you know. Um, mm, and so do you that feel really like affected, that experience, do you feel like that experience affected your work at the time or that it flows on into your work now? It certainly flows into my work now. I think at the time... Um, I mean, being, you know, being surrounded by children and families, there was often, you know, there was often people asking how I was, which was lovely. But again, it was just very, I would keep it very, not real. What's the, it's like very um, general and just go, yes, everything's good. You know, we're doing well. Oh, yes, we're really excited. All of these kinds of, you know, kind yeah. of stereotypical answers. A step removed, perhaps. Yes. And there'd be even people like my family and things that would say, oh, what do you think you're having? Because we, we didn't find out what we were having um, at the time. And there would be, you know, people in my family asking, oh, well, I think it's going to be this and things like that. And I would say, well, I don't know. I don't really know. I don't have a feeling either way. And I think what part of that was that I was actually blocking any feeling whatsoever because I didn't want to be freaking out about it. So I was just trying not to think about it at all. Um, and not to say, you know, I still read all the books because I'm a reader. I'm, a, I, I'm an avid reader. I do like to, you know, do my research and understand things. And, um, you know, so read, read the books that you were sort of supposed to read. And a lot of that was about the... Um, the pregnancy process in terms of how baby's growing, not a whole lot necessarily about the birth process and really not a whole lot about the, the postpartum process either, um, which is why I, I love so much what you, what you do in terms of educating people about that because I think that there's so much focus on the pregnancy that we forget about the really important bit that comes after the pregnancy. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot that comes after that, isn't there? And I right. think... The bit that comes after that as well in relation to child development, which is a lot of what you cover, is that actually that, that side of things is really saturated with information both good and bad. And I think what you have to offer in this space is to cut through some of the myths and separate some of the fact from fiction. So the next question that I want to put to you is actually about what do you want every mother to know about child development? Mm. You have a couple of little ones yourself. Yeah. I think it's been really important for you to know as a mother and as a professional that you want every other mum to know too. The number one thing that, that came to me when, when you phrased that question to me was that it's not a race. Because I think so much of our, you know, our society and our just, you know, how we're kind of built, how we are encouraged to be built is about, you know, success and who's getting there first. And, you know, and when we look at developmental milestones, there's a lot of information about, well, you know, here's roughly the, you know, the, the order of things. And then here's the ages at which those order of things should be happening. And what can happen as parents is that we're going, well, this is supposed to be happening right now and it's not happening. What's wrong? We kind of go to that. We feel like there's something wrong. Are we doing something wrong? Is there something wrong with my child? And when you go and seek, you know, information about that from your, you know, from your doctor or from your pediatrician or from, you know, 
whoever it is relating to what you're worried about, whether it's your, your teacher or, or, or whoever, a lot of the information you get back is, oh, well, yeah, they really should be doing X, Y, Z at this age because they're following the same books that you've read as a parent, right? They're following the same things that you've heard. They're following all of these guidelines. And what we forget is that each child is individual and actually they, they're not running a race. They're just doing things as they are interested in it, as they are you know, naturally inclined to do it. And so much of that you know, pressure and guilt and worry that we feel as parents, I think, would be relieved if we just realised that they're, they're just not in a race. Here's and some, also here's if some we, guidelines, but we, but we don't have to race to get there. And if we realise as well just how both abstract and out of date a lot of those guidelines are that we're still holding on to as concrete fact, they're, yeah. you know, they're 20, 30, 40 years out of date by the scientific literature, but it's still what's coming through our medical system a lot of mm. the time. And that's mm. Because our when our doctors were trained, too. that's what they're taught and so they do what they're taught and it's, you know... It's difficult as a mum too because you feel like, I mean, and, and also just as a society, we're schooled to listen to the experts, right? We're schooled to go to the doctor and listen to the, what the doctor has to say and follow their directions. And we're schooled to go to school and listen to the teacher and learn from them and, and do what they have to say. But I think along the way, we often forget that those are just people too. And all they have is, is, you know, they've done some reading on that topic and they have been, you know, exposed to, you know, people teaching them about that topic and that's awesome. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they, that they know everything or that they know exactly what's best for your child. And so when, you know, when we look at the system as a whole, we, we come from a very top-down approach where we go, okay, well, the expert knows and then we just as a, as, as a people, as a population, we'll just follow what they say. Whereas if we look at, at it from a more holistic point of view and a, and a family-centric point of view, we look at the child and the family as a whole and go, for this particular situation, what is actually going to be best? And I think that's why, you know, why I ended up, you know, starting my own business because I felt like the systems that I was working within didn't allow for a whole lot of that. There was a lot of checking the box. There was a lot of, you know, you know, ticking off the things that we need to tick off and, and uh, do they qualify for funding or don't they, depending on what test result they got on this specific test that was designed in a specific way for a particular type of person, not necessarily for the whole population. So, it, it, I guess it's, it gets really, me really fired up because I think there's so much of, the, of you know, actual trauma that a lot of our families go through because they are effectively told that there's something wrong with either the way they parent or their child or both. Um, and they, you know, spend a lot of time trying to correct that when a lot of these things they actually don't need to correct. They just need to learn how to work with. Yeah. So I'm really feeling into that idea of the same things that we need to be telling our kids or thinking in relation to our kids development. It's not a race is also the same kind of level of compassion we need to be giving to ourselves that motherhood isn't a race either. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that's one of the biggest things I've learned becoming a mum myself is that so much of what we try to do as parents and, and how we view our child and the things that our children go through is, is actually exactly the same process for ourselves. And so it's such a process of self-growth and transformation and, and how you can actually then, you know, do that for and with your children as well as yourself. It's, it's pretty, you know, it's, it's actually quite fascinating when you look at some of the, the, you know, situations that you end up in and realise at the end of the day that actually that was completely and utterly for your own growth and understanding. Yeah. Amazing. I would love to find out what the lesson about my own growth is about not being able to find my car keys for 20 minutes this morning because that one is still <laughs> something that 
there's many other things that I can forgive myself for, but losing stuff is still something that really grinds my gears. So interesting. And it would be so interesting to go back to, you know, to your childhood and go, okay, where, you know, where in my own childhood was it, you know, was it a problem to lose things or was it looked at as a bad personality trait or how, how did that sort of reflect on you back then? And then how is that coming into today? And you're effectively parenting yourself in a similar way, potentially. Yes. There's something Mm. about my, um, it's so hard to see our own stuff though, right? Yeah. Like even when you know all this stuff. Totally. Yeah, there's a lot of like perfection hangover stuff happening here. I don't know that losing things was such an issue of my childhood, but like I, you know how people are sort of, once they've been an alcoholic, they're always a recovering alcoholic. I think mm-hmm. I'm going to always be a recovering perfectionist. So it's exactly extending the same, same self-compassion. Yeah. Yep. So yes. I think um, we might go on to the next question how has motherhood brought new strengths to your life and your work or accentuated old ones you already had Mm. this is a great question because i think i mean we've touched on it a little bit already i think but um i don't think i would be here even giving this you know doing my own business thing a go if i hadn't become a mum because you know becoming a mum for the first time um was such a, I mean, I, you know, I felt like I was prepared. I, I, I had a degree in early childhood, you know, I, I understood child development. I, you know, I had worked in daycare centers. So I knew a little bit about, you know, caring for a baby in terms of feeding and changing and all of the practical side of things. I, um, you know, I felt pretty confident in that way, but when you're actually in it, it's so, so different. And I knew, I knew enough to know that I would be exhausted and that, yes, it would be a lot harder doing it for your own children than it would be for other children. But I think it's also really even hard to understand the, you know, the breadth and depth of that without actually experiencing it. You know, it's quite, um, it can be overwhelming. It's it, relentless is probably the word that, that comes to mind because it really is 24 seven because it's not just so the fact that you're caring for the child when you're caring for the child, you're also thinking about caring for the child, whatever else you're doing you know, that's always in the back of your mind. You're also, you know, often sleep deprived from, you know, getting up to them in the night. And even if you're not getting up to them in the night, you'll wake up thinking about getting up to them in the night. Like there's so much, <laughs> so much that, you know, that goes into it. And, and for me, um, with Jack, we had a lot of feeding difficulties. And so I was very determined to breastfeed. So I ended up, I got to a point where we couldn't actually direct feed. So I was pumping and bottle feeding him. So I would, when it was feed time, it would be warming up the bottle of breast milk, giving him a bottle of breast milk, then trying to entertain him and settle him while I was pumping to then get enough for the next feed. Um, and, you know, so by the time we'd done the whole process of feeding, pumping, you know, changing, getting him back to sleep and, you know, and then me actually getting some rest, it, you know, it would be like 30 minutes before he'd be up again and we'd do the whole thing again. So there was a lot in that, I think, for me, that was life-changing, really, because it set me down the path of, you know, of self-development in quite a, a much more profound way than I had before. I'd always been into learning. I'd always been, you know, um, interested in, in reading things, but I'd been so busy with my uni study. Um, and cause I did a, a degree in psychology before I had Jack just finished that before he came along, but where I hadn't actually, I suppose, developed too much into the, the self-development world. And so I got to a point with Jack where I had gone back to work just part-time 
it was meant to be sort of four or five hours a week, but it very quickly turned into two full days a week. And that I think was probably a bit much for me because this was about five, six months old he was at the time. Mm -hmm. And I reached a point where I just didn't enjoy anything. I didn't enjoy going to work and I didn't enjoy being home with Jack. And I was just, you know, in, in quite a deep state. And I remember um, a friend of mine had just moved into life coaching and um you know, it was a fairly, you know, it was a fairly large investment for us at the time. But I remember crying to my husband one night and saying, I think I just need to do this. Like, I can't explain why it doesn't make sense, you know, financially, but it just, it's, it's emotionally what I need to do. And so, you know, that's what I did. I had a, you know, a period of, of, you know, a few months with her where we were working quite closely together and giving me some strategies for reframing and some tools that I could use for myself. And that was such a, you know, a vital part of my journey too, to learn the, you know, the importance of that. Um, and, and I suppose just, you know, the, the, the way that I was really affected how my parenting was, like how I was feeling and, and how, you know, looked after I was feeling really affected how much capacity I had to look after my child. So do you think that's perhaps been one of the strengths that you've developed then that emotional intelligence that yeah. perhaps beforehand, a lot of our smarts come from book smarts. Yeah, absolutely. Learning the learning that, you know, that change from, you know, yeah, the traditional academic type of intelligence to a real, you know, I, I think I had a, a quite a solid sort of social emotional sense before in the terms that I could read other people's emotions and I could, you know, support other people and I could sort of change the way I spoke to, to work with, you know, the person that I was speaking with. And so I think that certainly heightened becoming a mum, but I think turning that inwards to myself was a massive part of it. And that's an ongoing thing, right? That's something that I'm still continuing to practice every day. And some days I'm not as good at it as others, because obviously there are some days where you do get depleted, you do get exhausted, you do get pulled from pillar to post, but um, knowing that that's one of the most important, you know, values that I have has really, I suppose, informed how I, how I work with people now, how I come to families and how I can really support them. And I think a lot of me, me before kids was focused on kids and how could I actually, you know, work with them and, and create play spaces and play with them in a way that helped them develop. Whereas now I think my attention has really turned more to the parents and how can I actually support them to understand what's happening for their child, but also understand what's happening for them. And that, that, relationship is really really key and so I think that's the um you know that's the biggest thing that I work with now and that's the biggest I suppose takeaway from that whole process of becoming a mum myself was recognizing how much influence I had effectively over the whole kind of household yeah in a sense I really feel like the work that you're doing with families as their children get older and have differing learning requirements I feel that the work you're doing with families there is almost dualering them in the same sense that I'm dualering families through their late pregnancy and, yes. and very early years. Yes, I so agree. There's actually um, a few times we've spoken today where it's, it's sort of triggered me to think about even when babies are sleeping, like yeah. understanding how they sleep and what's normal for them because we seem to have such a focus on getting them to sleep through the night on their own. And actually, biologically, that's not normal at all. And I think we do exactly the same thing with learning. We say, okay, by the time you're five years old, I mean, in Victoria, we do. By the time you're five years old, you should be sitting in a classroom and learning from a teacher. And actually, that's not how children learn at that age at all. It's no. through play up until about the age of eight years is, is the best way for them to learn is through play. And so 
um, yeah, it's like we go, you know, we 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 spend a long time going opposite to biologically what's actually best for us as human beings. Yes, and um, there's a lot around there, around sort of industrialization and yes. colonization yeah. and electricity and all those things that have a lot to answer for there, medicalization. So we could talk all day on that, but I'm oh, not going to spend could. our time doing that. <laughs> we might just transition on a little further. Now, you and I both have daughters. You also have a son. Yes. What practices or attitudes, elements are you bringing to your everyday life and your own experience of motherhood that will hopefully leave your daughter's motherhood, should she become a mother, as something that is beautiful and wonderful and magical Mm. in its own way rather than this assumed martyrdom or burdensome elements of motherhood that Mm. we our generation may sometimes be feeling it's such an important question isn't it because so much of our guilt i think comes from those stories that we tell about ourselves about what we should be doing what should you know the end of the day you know by the end of the day what what tasks should we have completed what you know what tasks should we be taking on as mothers you know and and this kind of idea that well we should just make sure that our kids are always happy and always smiling and also the cows should be tidy and also you know we should probably at this i mean in this stage of society we also have this added pressure of we should also be working and bringing in money and you know we've got to be all the things to all the people and so i hope that you know what i do in my parenting is, is actually, you know, quashing some of those (laughs) is going, no, we're not going to be happy all the time. And actually that's okay. So, you know, a big part of my parenting is crying with my kids when I'm and showing them that I'm crying when I'm feeling sad. If, If they have pushed me to the point that I'm just overwhelmed and frustrated and it all comes out as tears, I don't go and hide away in a room or a bathroom or whatever and do that. I would just let that happen. And I'll say, I'm just, I'm feeling, you know, I'm feeling really sad. I'm feeling really frustrated. And so this is how, this is what that looks like when that happens to me and talking them through that process, because it's important for them to understand that we also have feelings and we also make mistakes too. Not everything that we say just because we're the, the mum is, is necessarily the right thing. We just do what we can with what we know. Right. Um, so, you know, if I, if I have those times where I'm feeling angry and perhaps instead of, you know, doing my own practice of releasing that anger, I release it onto them by yelling at them or, you know, saying go to your room or taking them to the room or whatever the case may be, is then afterward reflecting on that and going, actually, that's not how I wanted to react. And, and then talking to them about that and saying, you know, mummy got really cross there and you notice how when mummy was feeling cross, this is what happened. And sometimes the same thing happens for you. And what should we choose to do instead and make it a, a, something that we do together as opposed to something that I'm enforcing on them to do. Um, I and I think so just, yeah, I'm so glad. <laughs> it's a practice though, right? Because I mean, we, you know, we get caught up in the everyday all the time. And so when I find, I actually find when I'm teaching this stuff, when I've, I've run course courses on um, social skills and I've run courses on um, like learning strategies and things. And when I'm teaching this stuff, a lot of what I talk about is emotion regulation and the more that I talk about it, the more that I'm actually able to be conscious of it in my everyday parenting. Whereas when I get caught up in just the busyness and the admin and the, all the other things that, that come along with, you know, having a family and running a business that I'll often forget. And that's when I catch myself out more often. And, and it's really interesting how that sort of symbiotic teacher 
um, student relationship is through is is embedded in everything it's really i think that all relationships are are both teaching and learning all relationships are both give and take like it's it's this beautiful kind of dichotomy that's always you know always changing and always flowing together yeah um, and no relationship more so than between mother and child right exactly exactly and i like to talk about the fact that you know a parent is a child's first and most important teacher. And I think that will always be the case. That will always be truth. And whether we're conscious of teaching our children at any age or not, we will be teaching them throughout their lives. So um, hopefully, you know, what I do with my kids is I show them that, you know, the broad spectrum of emotions are, are okay to feel and normal to feel. And also that we sh what we should be thinking about and conscious of is, um, is not hurting other people when we do that. Um, and so if we do make a mistake, then here's how we repair it. And that it's also okay and wonderful to try things and, and to also make mistakes. Um, and so I hope just pursuing my own passions and a love of helping people and just sort of putting myself out there is also showing them that that's, you know, that's okay to do and that it's, it's, you know, you don't have to just go to a job and work nine to five just to make money. Hopefully they're getting the sense that you can actually, you know, find a different way and choose a different path and um, and follow what you really love to do. And I hope that that's what I'll be able to continue to do throughout their, their childhood and even into adulthood is to help them to find what they really love to do and let's do more of that. Yeah. How can we tell them to follow their dreams if we're just sitting on ours? So true. And hence you and I are sitting here making this podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. So I have loved, loved, loved having this chat with you and, um, I think we could probably make, you know, an hour every week for the rest of our lives. But what there are so I, many um, topics to talk about. There, but yes, <laughs> anyway. we have a certain amount of time. Um, could you please share with us where we can find you and what you're offering for listeners at the moment as well? I will, of course, put everything, all these little links into the show notes. Um, but yeah, please, please enlighten us. So the place that I probably spend the most time is Facebook. So you can find me at Sammy Ann Maplemaze. It's uh, facebook.com forward slash Sammy Ann dot MTM. Um, I also have a website, which is www.sammyann.com where all of my offers and things are generally up there. Whatever program or course that I'm launching at the time will generally be on Facebook. And then you'll often find a link to the website from Facebook as well. Um, at the moment, I am talking about transitions because we are um, in the midst of, you know, those early, those early weeks of school. Um, and I think that it's important for people to understand that, you know, whether you're starting school or just transitioning from one year level to another, that that is, that is a process and it takes some time for our children to settle into that new environment. Um, but also that, you know, if, even if for the first couple of weeks they start off really well, it's really normal and natural to have a little bit of a dip, whether that dip comes a couple of weeks in or sort of towards the end of term, they'll, they'll often be, you know, ebbs and flows with that for our children as well in terms of how well they're coping with that transition. So um, we've been talking a bit about that and I actually have a, a, a short course, which has got like three trainings in there. Um, that talks about all the different aspects of transition and how we can really support our children in that, but also how we can support ourselves as parents because our children starting school or even moving up a year level in school is often a big process of transformation for us as well because we become, you know, a different identity, right? We become a school mum or we become a mum of a, you know, a grade one or a grade two. Um, 
And so there's a lot about in, in terms of self-care for ourselves and that as well. So it's $55 for that short course. So the links for that will be on my page. You can check those out. Um, or if you have any questions for me, feel free to message me anytime. I love questions. So I'm always happy to answer them. Yes, yes. And I know there would be a lot of people thinking about those big things at this point in time, early February and the start of our school year that might look very different to last year's school year with COVID too. Mm. Yes. And I think after, you know, everything we went through last year and especially in Melbourne, we had quite a lot of time outside of school. And so that can really affect how our children are feeling in themselves at school too. So the more support we can get with that, the better, I think. Yes. Yes. Great. Thank you so much for this chat, Sammy. Thank you so much for having I'll me. I'll pop Anna. those links pleasure. in the notes. If you loved today's episode, please remember to subscribe, leave a five-star review if you feel called to, and share this content with anyone else who you know might need a little inspiration to make their motherhood journey more magic. Until next week, bye. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Motherhood Made Magic. If you'd like to find out more about what I do, you can head to my website, www.annacusack.com.au. Follow me on Facebook, Anna Cusack, Complete Mama Support, and on Instagram as at Anna Cusack Postpartum. I look forward to bringing you another brilliant chat next time.